So Philippians, epistle of joy, the apostle Paul is writing a joyful letter and he's writing a joyful letter while in prison, but it's also a letter of unity. He's writing about unity. How important is that for our society and for the church today? We don't have unity, right? And he's writing about unity and he's writing about joy. Even though they've faced persecution, he's facing persecution and he's joyful. Chuck Spindall has a sermon series on Philippians that he wrote into a book called Laugh Again. He's got all types of humorous stories because laughter really is good medicine. I think about Friday, we were driving home, Megan and I and Mercedes and Abigail, and I was talking about our above ground pool. And I said, well, I'm sure in a few years we might need to replace the liner And then I said, it might last longer because we have daughters, not sons. But if you get older and start inviting boys over to your different birthday parties and whatever, the liner might take a a hit. I don't know if that's true or not. Steve can correct me later. But then Mercedes said, why would we want boys over? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I said, well, and Megan and I looked at each other, laughed and said, can you say that again into this microphone right now? You know? Well, I want boys over because Megan had a brother and her parents had an above ground pool and he would run off the roof. It was a low house and jump into the pool. I'm sure that doesn't do good for the liner, but you know, our daughters are pretty gentle for the most part with it. Laughter, laughter, isn't it? It is good to have that surprise type of thing that just makes you laugh and makes you think and makes you wonder. And someday we'll bring that up and hopefully make them laugh in the future over that. And here in Philippians 1, 19 through 26, we have a subject matter that might not usually be a laughing subject. Paul is in prison talking about death, really. He's talking about whether he should desire to just go to be with the Lord in heaven or, or whether he should desire to keep living. And most of us don't think of it as a laughing subject. One person wrote, many handle death through humor. A bumper sticker read, don't take life so seriously. You won't get out of it alive. Harry Truman told the story of a man who was hit on the head and fell into a deep coma. He stayed there for a long time. People thought he was dead, so they sent him to a funeral home and stuck him in a coffin. At two o'clock in the morning, all alone in, in, in this dimly lit room in the coffin, in the funeral home, he sat up and looked around. Good night, he said. What's going on? If I'm alive, why am I in a casket? And if I'm dead, why do I have to go to the bathroom? (laughs) So as we continue this series, we see Paul confronting his own death. It's near and dear to my heart right now. I told you last week, my brother was told probably nine to 12 months um, to live when he asked if he thought he had longer, if the doctor thought he had longer than a year to live. And I talked to him for another hour the next day. And, you know, to me, for the believer in Jesus Christ, the thought of going to be with our Lord in heaven doesn't have to be and really shouldn't be a depressing, discouraging subject. It can be and should be encouraging. We're going to be with our Lord and Savior. 
We're gonna be in paradise. We're going to be in heaven. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says that he had been to heaven and he saw things that were too marvelous to even speak of. But he wanted to go back. Now, if we talk about, you know, leaving those we love here and those types of things, that's a different subject. But going to heaven will be paradise. Dallas Willard has said, I may die and may not even know it for a few days. I may not even know I'm dead. And last week I reached out to um, someone and said, what's the context? What did he mean by that? And, and the person responded and said, the thought was that Dallas Willard, the Christian philosopher, said, I may be so amazed at how awesome heaven is that it may take some time, even a couple days, before I realize I'm dead, I'm in heaven, because it's just so, so, so amazing. In Dallas Willard's book, Divine Conspiracy, he tells this really awesome uh, illustration. I remember where I was when I was listening to the book on a jog, and, and he, he wrote about you know a child, and probably most all of us can remember being a child and falling asleep playing with toys, and then we wake up in bed, maybe the next day. We don't remember falling asleep, we don't remember going from the playroom or the living room or wherever to the, to the bedroom. We wake up in bed. And that's us when we pass from this life to the next. For the believer in Christ, only our body dies. We're immediately with the Lord in heaven. And Paul was eager to go there. Paul had been to heaven. He'd been with the Lord. And we see in this passage, he's eager to go back. He's even conflicted. And I'm gonna repeat this twice because I don't want you to get the wrong message. None of this is about suicide. It's not about Paul wanting you know, somebody to take his life. No, it's not about that. It's about when death is near, should he pray, Lord, deliver me so I can keep living? Or should he pray, Lord, I'm content. Take me when you're ready. My theme today, Paul desires to live for the Philippians. He desires to live for the Philippians, but knows if God calls him to heaven, he is better off. He desires to live for the Philippians. If he lives, he wants to live self-sacrificingly. He wants to live for others. He wants to live for the Philippians. But he knows if God calls him to, calls him to heaven, he's better. And that's the same for all of us. Our life is not as a Christian to be about us anyways. It's, to be about, to be our Lord. it's about our Lord and Savior and others around us. So look at his dilemma. Whether through life or death, Paul wants Christ to be glorified. Look at verses 19 through 22. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. And we're gonna continue in the verses following that in a couple minutes, but just this first part, Paul explains the connection with prayers and the help of the Holy Spirit. Look at it. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's crediting them with their prayers in the Holy Spirit. Our prayers matter. And the Holy Spirit living within us is so powerful. And this link is powerful. Paul is confident 
that this will turn out for his deliverance. But what deliverance is he speaking of? The, the Greek word is a basic word for salvation, but it can also mean well-being or escape. The Greek word means the same as salvation, but it can also mean well-being or escape. So does he think he will be delivered from prison? Because of their prayers, he'll be delivered from prison or from this life, from this life. There are different thoughts on that. Some think Paul is intentional in being ambiguous. Could it be that he's being intentionally ambiguous? I think he could be because he's delivered either way. And that's the case with a Christian. We win either way. If, if, if God heals us of some disease, uh, that's great. Praise God. If God calls us home to heaven, we have the ultimate healing. We win either way. Maybe he was intentionally ambiguous. It could apply to both. He might first have in mind deliverance from prison, but he wins if he's delivered from this life. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20 again. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Christ is honored in my body, whether by life or by death. I highly commend the book. I referenced it last Sunday as well. Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Tim Keller. Because in the West, we can't reconcile suffering. We don't know what to think of it. Just avoid it at all costs. We don't see how God redeems it. We don't see how God redeems it, how God uses it, how God helps us through it, how God redeems it, and and how Jesus himself went to the cross for us. Jesus himself, God in the flesh, willingly suffered, willingly suffered for us. All the other worldviews of ancient cultures understood and they had a way to reconcile suffering, not in the West, not in America. Christians do. God redeems it. God is building us up. Jesus himself went to the cross. We get it all back in the resurrection. In the resurrection, we will be resurrected. We will be with Jesus. And why does that matter? Because Paul is saying whether to live or die, I wanna glorify Christ. And it used to be that Christians would talk more about praying for a holy dying or holy suffering. That even as they go through the water of suffering, the hardships. They're praying, Lord, help me to be a witness. Help me to be an ambassador for Christ. Help me never to curse you. Help, help the witness to spread. I, I know of people. One lived 20 years after this cancer and then recently passed away a year or two ago who prayed because their kids were wayward. And they said, Lord, whatever it takes, then bring them back to you. She got cancer. They came back to the Lord. So in verse 20, Paul has expectations. They're eager expectations. Paul, Paul hopes that he will not be ashamed. Now, what would he be ashamed of? I think he'd be ashamed if he denies Christ or curses God. In other words, if he curses God while in prison or denies Christ, he would be ashamed. He explains that more in the rest of the verses. He writes, but with full courage, another translation says, by my speaking with all boldness. He says, now as always. In other words, he can say that he has always tried to honor Christ and he wants this to continue. He wants to continue to honor Christ. It'd be so easy to be in prison and get down and, 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 and curse God and, 
and, and, and turn on God. But that doesn't what, that's not what he wants. He wants to stay strong in the Lord. He wants to continue witnessing to the Praetorian Guard. He wants to, he want, he wants to show the people that you can suffer for Christ. You can stay true to the Lord. He wants Christ to be honored through him, whether in how he lives or how he dies. Do we think about magnifying Christ as we live or as we die? I recently read about a young mom dying of cancer. Even in her last 30 minutes, she was suffering and vomiting. John Piper answered the question, how does that glorify God? How does that glorify God? He said, it glorifies God because even in her suffering, she did not curse God. Like Job in the Old Testament, she did not curse God. Actually, there's a link to the message. I would highly commend it to you. It's linked in the sermon copies, or I could send it to you. One of you, actually, emailed me this message by Piper, and it's called Not Dead Yet. And John Piper was giving it to the seniors group at his church, and he gave that example, as well as many other good ones. Do we ever pray, Lord, no matter what, don't let me turn my back on you. Remember the Lord's prayer says, deliver us from evil, Matthew 6, 13. And Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Also Matthew 6, 13. God will not tempt us, but he will test us. James 1, 3 and 13 says that. He will test us. My Sunday school class has, has been talking the last few weeks about Matthew 4 and Jesus' temptation. If you look at Matthew 4, verse 1, it says, the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. God didn't tempt him, but God did lead him into the test. It was the devil that did the tempting. God will test us because he has a purpose in it. He has a purpose to build us up. And we need to pray, oh Lord, help me to be strong. God can also prevent us from being tempted. Do you ever pray about that? Lord, this next day, please keep temptation away. He won't tempt us, but guess what? He can prevent it. Or someone once said, are you praying for lighter burdens or a stronger back? He may give you the stronger back. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to man. And God is faithful and will give you a way out. God can give us a strength to endure temptation. God can deliver us from evil. It is very biblical as a Christian to think and pray about standing strong and suffering in the tests. Often we prepare for everything but not the spiritual, right? We think, I'm gonna have my bank account ready so I have three months of reserves. I think that's what Dave Ramsey says. I'm gonna have this ready, I'm gonna have that ready, and I'm gonna have that ready, and I'm gonna have all these insurance things, and, and I believe in that, actually. It, you know, health insurance and life insurance and, and auto insurance. It's actually illegal to drive without auto insurance, I think. Though Megan got hit by somebody a few years ago didn't have insurance, but it does happen. But you think about preparing for everything, but do we pray? in advance. Lord, keep us strong. Keep me strong. Christians will suffer persecution and Christians will suffer other trials connected to a world of sickness. And oftentimes we blame the devil. The devil doesn't need any help. We are in a fallen world. We're in a world filled with temptations and struggles and pain and suffering and things like that. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, a Christian pursuing godliness will suffer persecution. 
All who want to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Francis Chan has this great illustration in his book, I, I think it's Forgotten God, it might, be, it might be Crazy Love, where he talks about uh, Christians who were being persecuted, but they were American. They're American Christians, and I think they were doing mission work overseas. And, and they were locked in prison, and they were being persecuted for their faith. And since they were Americans, of course, the American government came after them, and the Navy SEALs came and got them out. A few of them died because before the Navy SEALs came in. A few of them died because they they wouldn't deny Christ. And once they were rescued by the Navy SEALs, they came back to the United States and they said, I missed that time. The Holy Spirit was so strong when they were standing for Christ in that trial, in that persecution, they actually missed that time because the Holy Spirit was so strong in them. Here's Paul in prison, chained to a guard, saying that he wants to honor Christ whether he lives or dies, whether he lives or dies. Warren Wearsby says the believer's body is a lens that makes a little Christ look very big and a distant Christ come very close. We are never alone. John Piper reminds us about verse 20. Jesus is always with us. Jesus says, behold, I am with you always in Matthew 28, 20. Behold, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. And Piper says in that same sermon titled, Not Dead Yet, Not Dead Yet, he says, I think always is even more important than the phrase to the end of the age. It's one thing to say he'll be with us to the end of the age. It's another for him to say, I'll be with you every minute of your life. Do you realize that as a Christian? God is with us. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you know him as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is within you and he is with you every single minute of your life. You are never alone. We are never, ever, 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 ever alone. He is with us every moment because the Holy Spirit is within us. John Patton was a missionary to what's now the new hybrids or hebrides or something like that. I'll just go with it. He was driven up into a tree as 1,300 Aboriginal natives were trying to kill him. So imagine being a missionary, 1,300 Aboriginal natives are trying to kill him. He's, he's climbed a tree. I guess that's a prerequisite for being a missionary. You have to be able to climb trees. Mercedes would be good. I would not. As they were beneath him, he laid hold of the promise of Matthew 20, 19 through 20. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Given to me. That's what God said. That's what Jesus said. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said, and I am with you always. He clung to that promise. Jesus has all authority and he's with him. So even though he's being chased by 1,300 natives, even though he's hiding out in a tree, Jesus is with him. And here's what he wrote later because guess what? He survived. He wrote, without that abiding consciousness of the presence and power of my dear Lord and Savior, nothing else in all the world could have preserved me from losing my reason and perishing miserably. His words, lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world, became to me so real that it, it, would have, it would not have startled me to behold him, as Stephen did, gazing down upon the scene. In other words, those words of Jesus saying, I'm with you always, were so startling to him, he felt like he could look up in the sky and see Jesus on his throne. Because that's what Stephen did. In Acts 8, when Stephen is being stoned, he looked into the heavens and he saw the Lord receiving him. That's what this missionary felt. He felt that type of supporting power. And he writes, it's a sober truth. And it comes back to me sweetly after 20 years. This is what the missionary said. After 20 years, 20 years since then, that I had, that I had my nearest and dearest glimpses 
of the face and smiles of my blessed Lord Jesus in those dread moments when musket, club, or spear was being leveled at my life. He felt like he had the nearest and sweetest glimpse of the presence of the Lord during that moment when his life was in jeopardy. Look at verse 21, back to our text. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. Interestingly enough, though, is is not in the original language. We go back to the Greek, you look up the Greek, it just says to live Christ, to die gain. It doesn't say to live is Christ, it's to live Christ. To live means Christ, but to die is gain. To die is gain. The greatest gain in heaven is to be with Jesus Christ. Death is our passageway to be with Jesus. And and I want to repeat, though, none of this is about suicide. It's simply thinking about whether he prays for survival or not. When it seems like God is calling us home to heaven, there's nothing wrong with saying, Lord, take me when you're ready. And this is when we can tell death is near. We must remember that our life is in God's hands. God is the owner. When death seems near, we can ask him to take us. But we cannot, we cannot ask others to take us. Maybe... Paul is having this conversation with the Lord. Maybe he's having that heart-to-heart conversation. Lord, I've been suffering. I've got marks all over my back from the bruises. I've got dislocated from the beatings, I mean. I've got dislocated bones. I'm in this prison. There's a rat right next to me eating my dinner. I'm chained to a guard. How long, oh Lord? But to live is still Christ, to die is gain. Chuck Spindall shares, those are the words of a man whose image was secure and whose reputation was not in the need of being protected, massaged, or defended. His mind was firmly fixed on essentials, so much so that nothing brought him anxiety. Whether by life or by death, his focus was concentrated. He concentrated himself only with things that mattered. For all he knew, death might be right around the corner. That thought thought alone provides an excellent filtering system enabling us to separate what is essential from what is not. As dear old Samuel Johnson once uh, stated, when a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. Verse 22, he says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Here's his conflict. If I'm to live in the flesh, if I'm to stay living, because notice how he says in the flesh, Because the Christian lives either way, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But if I'm to live in the flesh, this side of eternity, I've got fruitful labor. God still has a purpose. That's the case for all of us here. If we're alive, God still has a purpose for us. We see Paul is torn. He knows to serve Christ in the flesh is better for the church at Philippi. He could have thought he might die in prison, or maybe he knew he'd be released. One source shares, Paul's Paul's remaining would help them by virtue of his continuance as a teacher, and perhaps also for legal precedent. Caesar Nero, who was the emperor, was not particularly interested in legal questions. And in AD 62, he freed Jewish hostages that the procurator Felix had previously sent him. Paul was likely released at that time in AD 62. Look at the next few verses. Paul has this inner turmoil, this inner conflict, And he comes out saying, I want to live. I want to keep living for you. 
Verse 23 seems to be the middle of this section. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He has a strong desire to let the Lord take him home to heaven. He has faced a lot of persecution. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten with rods. He's been a night at day at sea. You can see 2 Corinthians 11 and Acts chapter 14 for some of that. He knows how awesome heaven is. There's a lesson here. There's several of them. How often do we cling to this life thinking it's all that matters? How often do we cling thinking if God calls us home tomorrow, we miss out, not for the Christian. There's no missing out. I believe that the Christian idea of a bucket list, things we want to do before we die, diminishes the awesomeness of heaven. For the believer in Christ, we don't miss out. It's gain. Look at verses 24 through 26. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And, and, and in verse 25, we see the end of this inner turmoil. Convinced of this, he's convinced of, of remaining the flesh for them. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your, prog- for your progress and join the faith. Uh, he's gonna continue, but he's continuing so that they have joined the faith. He's continuing for their growth. He says, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you Again, he's been convinced and he's telling us his heart. He's been convinced. Death is gain. He's ready to be with the Lord in heaven. Being stoned, being beaten a number of times, being shipwrecked might be enough for one person. I would think so. He's convinced. He's seen heaven. He knows how awesome it is. He's convinced that he would love to be in heaven, but he's more convinced that staying with them is good for their joy. Staying with them is better for their progress in the faith. Staying with them, being able to visit with them again, will build up the gospel. His inner turmoil has been settled. He wants to continue for their faith. And it is most likely he was released from prison in AD 62. And it is most likely that he did see the church at Philippi again before he was beheaded around AD 68. Look at verse 26. He says, so that, so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And it seems that that is likely what happened. How is death gained for the Christian? John Piper shares this. Our spirits will be made perfect. Hebrews 12, 22 through 23. We will be relieved of the pain of this world. Luke 16, 24 through 25. We will be given profound rest in our souls. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. We will experience a deep at-homeness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Do you realize that? When God calls you home to heaven, you will feel at home like never before. And we will be with Christ. That's what this passage is saying. We will be with Christ. Christ is a more wonderful person than anyone on earth. He is wiser, stronger, and kinder than anyone you enjoy spending time with. He is endlessly interesting. He knows exactly what to do and what to say at every moment to make his guests as glad as they can possibly be. 
He overflows in love and with infinite insight into how to use that love to make his loved ones feel loved. Therefore, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. So if he lives, he wants to live for the church at Philippi. And I think he did. If he dies and God calls him home, he knows he'll be with the Lord in heaven. So how do we see joy and unity in this passage of Philippians? We see joy that he knows, even if God calls him home, it's a good thing. He knows also that he wants to be a witness. He wants to be a testimony. How do we see unity? He's after their interest. He's thinking about others first. And that is the way for all of us as Christians. 1 Corinthians 13, love believes all things, endures all things, believes. That means we give each other the benefit of the doubt. Unity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this passage in Philippians for it teaches us a lot. And Lord God, I, I, I feel like and I could be wrong. I don't know the hearts and minds of the congregation, but I feel like some in the congregation might be encouraged hearing how Paul was able and willing to face death knowing that it's better because how awesome heaven is. Some might be encouraged hearing testimonies of how the Holy Spirit was so strong with the missionary up in the tree being chased down. Others might be discouraged. Lord God, there might be others here in this congregation who are satisfied so much with the things of this life. That that is first and foremost what's important to them. And some of those things in life, Lord, we know are good things, a spouse, children, and grandchildren. But even good things can become idols. So Lord God, help us all to put you first, to be focused on you. How awesome knowing you is. How awesome having a relationship with you are is. That we treasure our relationship with you. We treasure knowing you. We love you. We have affection for you so much that everything else is second. You are first. You are first. I am second. Galatians 2.20, may we live that we can say with Paul, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith and the son of God who died and gave himself as a ransom for others. Lord Jesus, I pray that you are living strongly in us and we struggle in prayer like the example in Colossians chapter four, verse 12 of the believer in Christ struggling in prayer because that's the only way to live the Christian life is to struggle in prayer. Like you in John 17, Jesus, in your high priestly prayer, praying, crying out to you. Encourage our faith this week. Give us opportunities to share about your love with other people. 
In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand if you're